After the sermon this morning, uh, we'll have kind of our prayer with our shepherds like we always do. Uh, and then we're going to have an extra collection. We're going to pass the plate one more time. And the reason we do that today um, is not because we just want more. Uh, the reason we're doing that uh, is because this is an opportunity to give. Uh, every year around this time, we have one day where we do a second collection, uh, and it's kind of our Christmas collection is what we call it. We give extra money uh, that goes towards families that are connected to our church family in some way who could use some extra blessing this year around the holidays. And uh, Over the years, that's been used to buy presents for kids and food for families. Uh, it's bought one or two Christmas trees, but in lots of different ways that allow families that might not otherwise have Christmas without this contribution to have a special uh, Christmas day. So um, that's coming. Uh, just didn't want to surprise you with that. Uh, if you don't have cash and want to give electronically, you can do it on PushPay. All the money given today in Mark for Benevolence will go to that fund. Uh, but that's just so we don't surprise that on you uh, later. Um, but this morning, we're talking about remembering. We're talking about uh, getting to know uh, our older family members is what I want to talk about. You know, we live in a world today where families are often so scattered, um, if not by geography, then by their chronology, their time. Uh, we live busy, chaotic lives. And it's often, it's often hard to find time to spend with the people we care about the most because we're dealing with the things that are most urgent and most present to us. We spend so much time going and going and going uh, that one of the best things about the holidays is it gives us an opportunity to slow down, to be with family, to have traditional foods, um, to do the things that, that we anticipate and long for throughout much of the year, but we get to do it in a special way on these special uh, times. Uh, but we've all also got that one family member who drives you crazy, right? The one who shows up and thinks things they shouldn't think and says things they shouldn't say and, and you get to talking to them and you're like, how do I get uh, out of this conversation and get to somewhere else with people who think like me and do things like me? Um, and, and that can sometimes cause us anxiety because we get uncomfortable with people today who think differently than us. Or we get angry today at people that think differently than us. And yet, God intends for the church to be a very diverse group of people that think all kinds of things and from all kinds of walks of life that love each other like a family does. So how much more so does God want us to be that way in our families? And yet so often uh, we fail to even really know the stories of our loved ones. We fail to have a deeper understanding of who they are and where they come from. It's an unusual time uh, where we can have people that we love more than anyone in the world and we may not know the basic details of their childhood or their teen years or their lives before we came into their life because we don't talk about those things the way that people used to. When I used to go to my great grandma Hill's house uh, up in, in Missouri, uh, we would go up there and we would sit there and and. I don't even remember if she had a TV. She probably didn't. She had a wood-burning stove, and we'd play out on the hills, and, and she would tell us stories, stories about growing up there. And my grandma Naylor would tell us stories about what it was like growing up there on the farm. And we would listen for so long, for hours. And it was easy to listen there. But today, in our world filled with telephones and televisions, we don't get much time in the living room telling stories about how things used to be. 
We don't get time that we sit around and share uh, memories of a different time in a different place in a different world. And the world has changed dramatically in the last 60, 70, 80 years. The world has changed so much so that we have a generation gap that exists in many of our families and in our churches and in the world. Where those who are older look at the younger people and go, oh, those young whippersnappers just are the worst. And the young whippersnappers look at their elders and go, they don't have a clue. When are they going to get out of the way so we can finally drive this bus where it needs to go? And there's this generation gap. And there's so often that it's like, you just don't understand where I'm coming from. And that's true. We don't understand where each other is coming from. The world has changed dramatically in recent decades. So much so that people who grew up in the same town and went to the same school can talk to people that are going to those schools today and feel like they're from a different country and a different world. And they look at each other and they say, how can you think the things you think and do the things you do and say the things you're saying? What, what in the world is going on here? And in the midst of that, we can do what we so often do in our world, which is to write the other off. You're just one of them, and so I can ignore you because I'm right and you're wrong. Or we can do the work of listening to one another. Like James says, being quick to listen and slow to anger. Of being people who become storytellers and story seekers. Of people who, instead of saying, I don't understand how you could even think that can say, oh, I don't think that, but I at least understand how you do. Because you lived that. You experienced that. You you overcame that. And, And so you would, of course you would think differently than I do. I've lived this and experienced this and overcome these things in a very different world and in a very different time. And we struggle to do this today because we don't do memory very well in our world. We're always focused on the present and the future and the way things are going and what's coming up next. And Facebook and Instagram have replaced photo albums and scrapbooks. And the real just takes us forward and forward. And we don't take the time to reflect on what has happened in the past and what it means for the present and what it means for the future. And we need time that we settle down. And and here's why I'm giving you this sermon this week is most of you will get to spend time uh, with an older family member this week. Or you're the older family member that your family gets to spend time with, which means that this week you have an opportunity to do this work of hearing each other's stories, of asking each other questions, of finding times with grandma and grandpa, aunt and uncle, or of being the aunt and uncle who shares with your niece and nephew how your world was different than their world, and finding out how their world is different, actively choosing opportunities and seeking opportunities to listen to one another with curiosity and interest and empathy. The truth is there's there's an African proverb that says, Uh, An African proverb that says, when an old man dies, a library burns. And the idea is that there is a world of memories and experiences that exist only within you. And when you are gone, any of those memories and experiences that you've not shared with someone else goes with you. But every story that you've given to someone else, every experience that you've shared with another, when you die, those live on in another person's library. 
And so there's this incredible value in the sharing of our lives, in the telling of our stories. And Scripture calls on people of faith to do this over and over again, that we should remember. In Deuteronomy 32.7, in one of Moses' farewell sermons to the people of Israel, he says this, Remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you, your elders, and they will explain to you. There's this, this recency bias in our world where we think the newest and the, the youngest and the hippest is the one that is right. Companies tend to value and hire younger people over older people today for various reasons. But there's this priority that's given to the younger. But Moses says, don't you forget to ask your fathers what they learned. Don't forget to learn from your elders. Don't forget to question because they've walked where you're walking. They've gone where you're going. They've got lessons that you need, and it'll be easier if you let them learn them and teach you than you have to relearn yourself over and over again. He says it in one of his, Moses in one of his other sermons in Deuteronomy. This is in chapter 4. He says, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Again, the instruction is, on the one hand, children need to ask their elders. Children need to ask their parents. But parents, you also need to create room to teach your children, to tell them your stories to share with them what you've been through, to share with them your strengths and your weaknesses so that they can better understand their own strengths and their own weaknesses. Some of the darkest stories in all of Scripture, in Judges, for example, follow this sentence. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what He had done for Israel. And a question that I, we want, that I want you to be asking today is, could it be said in your family, today a generation has been raised up that knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for, insert your family's last name here. Is it possible that there will be a day that I will say, and a generation grew up in my family that didn't know the Lord or what he had done for the Browns? And if that day comes, and it's because I didn't turn off the TV, and I didn't look away from my phone to tell my kids the stories of all that God has done for me and for them, and about who God is and what He's done, I've missed it. I've missed it. And how rich are those times when families get together and say, wait, your house didn't have a television? That's right, we had to walk to school in the snow, uphill both ways, right? Those stories echo for generations. But the world is different, and the more that we understand how much things have changed, the more we can also understand the differences of opinions that exist between different groups. We so often see people, we talked about this in class this morning, we so often see the tip of the iceberg of a person, and we say, oh, I know exactly who they are. But who they really are is all the things that we don't know and that we haven't seen. 
and we haven't seen because we haven't looked, and we haven't heard because we haven't asked and listened. And, and this holiday season, what I want to challenge you to do is to be intentional about asking the former generations to tell you their stories. And if you're one of our older members, seek out opportunities to share your stories with, with others. Um, in Job chapter 8, Job is working through wisdom questions, questions about why suffering happens and why, uh, why some people are blessed and others are cursed and, and what is the answer to all of the challenges in the world that we live in. And one of the answers that's given, and many answers are given, is this. Ask the former generation and find out what their ancestors learned. For we were born only yesterday and know nothing. And our days on earth are but a shadow. Will they not instruct you and tell you? Will they not bring forth words from their own understanding? Can papyrus grow tall where there is no marsh? Can reeds thrive without water? While still growing and uncut, they wither more quickly than grass. Such is the destiny of all who forget God. So perishes the hope of all the godless, what they trust in, is fragile. What they rely on is a spider's web. They lean on the web, but it gives way. They cling to it, but it does not hold. They are like a well-watered plant in the sunshine, spreading its shoots over the garden. It entwines its roots around a pile of rocks. It looks for a place among the stones, but when it is torn from its spot, that place disowns it and says, I never saw you. Surely its life withers away, and from the soil other plants grow. Our days on earth are but a shadow. There's this truth that's in the beginning of this passage from Job that is incredibly important, is that if you live your life only interested in yourself and only learning your stories and only keeping them to yourself, then your life is but a shadow, and when it is over, it is gone. You're like a plant with no roots, a plant that doesn't attach to the soil, a plant that clings to the rocks, but it doesn't, you can't, a plant can't grow on the rocks. And so when it's pulled out and removed, it's gone. He says, but those of you that ask your ancestors questions, those of you that are rooted in the, the generations and the traditions of the past, that they take root in you and you then pass them to another, you will not forget who you are, where you come from, and who God is and what he's done for you. And, and when you have that richness and depth of, of being anchored to, to history, when you die, your history becomes someone else's future. And you're not but a shadow. You're part of an ongoing story that God is weaving through the lives of his people and through your family. That that is where so much of the power of sharing stories and sharing who God is and what he's done has so much value for us. And this isn't just a Bible thing. Uh, there is an anthropologist in Texas um, which is not someone that digs for bones. An anthropologist is someone uh, who studies people and cultures and worlds and, and tries to understand people mostly by if you, historical anthropology, does it by going and, and they do dig things up and they try and read the literature and they try and understand people of the past by, by seeing what they ate and how they dressed and how they talked and what they wrote and what are their, their theologies and their philosophies. They do all of that. But cultural anthropologists that are studying people in the present, the best way to do it is to go live with them 
It's to go ask them to tell you their stories. It's to go be with people and say, help me to understand who you are and the people that are around you. How do you interact with your neighbors? What does that mean about you? And so this is the work of anthropology. Uh, Elizabeth Keating is an anthropologist down in Texas, and she realized at one point uh, shortly after her mother had passed away, she was doing anthropology work with some uh, of her students and in another culture, and she started asking people and interviewing people to better understand them and their world, and she realized, I don't know what my mom would say to these questions. My mom is gone, and I never asked her what she was afraid of as a child. My mom is gone, and I, I never really asked her what her dating life and courting life was like, and now I don't get to know. I spend my whole life interviewing people to have a deep and rich understanding of who they are and, and how they fit in the world, and I forgot to ask my own family. And so she wrote a book that came out earlier this year called Essential Questions. Um, it's a, a, a several hundred page book. It's very rich and full of many great questions to ask families and, and many of the experiences that people had when they did ask their parents these questions. Incredible stories about the past that unlocked who they were in the present. And, and in the midst of this book, she took the book uh, and she wrote the 13 topics you should cover with your family. 13 topics you should cover with your, especially older parents, but you can ask these questions in any direction. We can always meet people and learn people. Uh, but her focus was asking our elders, our grandparents, our aunts and our uncles, our parents, these questions to have a deep and rich understanding of who they are. And part of her purpose is saying, listen, I acknowledge that there is a generation gap and an empathy gap in so many of our families this, in, in the world we live in today. And if we could understand each other more richly and fully, that gap could close. And so she gives these 13 topics and she gives an opening question and follow-up questions for all of them. Uh, I kind of condensed it. If, if you enjoy this exercise, go get her book. It's really good and has even uh, way more questions than this. And what she recommends is that you take these questions and set up a time to interview your loved one. And you say, hey, I want to really understand who you are and where you come from. Would you mind answering questions about you for me? She really recommends recording them so that you will um, not be overwhelmed by the stories that you're getting, but you'll be able to reflect on them later. That you'll be able to share them with other loved ones as you process through them yourself, that, that even after that loved one is gone, you'll still have the record of their library of stories and memories uh, to pull from. But here's what, what I'll tell you. If you're thinking, that's overwhelming, I don't have time to do that, pick one of these topics... And when you're sitting with one of your uh, family members at Thanksgiving this week, instead of saying, what have you been up to lately and finding out what the weather is, pick one of these questions and ask it. Get a little bit of a taste of who they are and where they come from. Get to know them on a deeper level and a richer level. If you've got an opportunity, do it as a family. If you've got an opportunity, kind of get in a sharing space. But let's not just talk about the latest thing to happen in our offices, but really learn what's underneath the tip of the iceberg in the families and the people that we love the most. So I want to be practical here. I want to take you into this handout a little bit, and I want you to see the richness of it. 
So in these questions, she says, you know, a lot of times you can start with basic background. When and where were you born, and is there a story behind your name? Basic and super interesting. Is there a story behind your name? So many people in Scripture have great stories behind their names and meaning. And many of us do, too. Uh, my middle name and Carter's middle name and my brother's middle name and my dad's middle name are all Reeves after my great, great, a couple of greats, Grandpa Reeves, who was a, a, a rancher and I had cows and, and worked on a farm. And that legacy is, is part of our name. Uh, the author, Elizabeth, of the book, she says, in my family, uh, we had four or five, we had five siblings, and the fourth and the fifth, my parents apparently had gotten tired of the naming thing, and on the way to the hospital, they said, what do you guys want to name them? And I said, how about William? And they said, as long as you don't call him Billy, and so it was William. Uh, so there's different ways and stories that come out of families when you ask these, these questions. How many brothers and sisters did you have? To which of them were you the closest? Where did you grow up? The spaces we live in reveal our sense of the world. The spaces that we occupy reveal our sense of the world. And this is why anthropology gives us insights into other people that other questions uh, don't have. Uh, what we tend to do is say, uh, where are you from, Mustang? Oh, where's that? That way? Okay. Was it good? Mostly. Next question, right? But a richer way of asking this is, tell me about the house you grew up in. How many bedrooms did it have? What room did you eat in? Where did you sleep? Uh, where did you spend most of the day, inside or outside? Tell me about the spaces you occupied so I can imagine what it was actually like in your world. Where did you guys eat, and did you always eat together on your own? Who did the cooking? Um, how was your home different from others in the area? And suddenly they're telling you not just about their house, but the world around them and how they understood themselves in the midst of the spaces around them. Ask about the history of your family. Uh, there's some questions about, about time in there, but what was a typical day like when you were a child? Uh, how did you think about time as a kid? Isn't that an interesting question? How many of you think back to your childhood and just have no sense of time? You just kind of had the whole day, especially during the summer, the whole day to do what you want. In every moment of the day, unless you were being told to go clean your room, you could say, what is the most fun thing that I could do in this moment? And then you could just go do that thing. As adults, we don't do that very often. We have lists of to-do lists and responsibilities, and time is often not our own. And also there's a sense that in adulthood that as you get older, that time has this feeling of accelerating, of passing more quickly, of things being more urgent. There was no urgency when we were children, but there is almost always an element of urgency in our lives as adults. Reflecting on that can be helpful for us in thinking about our time management, but thinking about how the world is different now than it used to be. The importance of everyday encounters is something that, that is, is so interesting and rich to talk about. We, we so often think about our, our life in the big moments, the weddings, the birthdays, the holidays, but almost all of our life is really lived out in little interactions with coworkers with people uh, on the street, strangers, with uh, our best friends and our acquaintances, the people that so often interact with us on a daily basis. And, and those things shape us more than our, our big events. Who are the people uh, that you interacted with as a child? 
Who taught you to interact with adults? How were you taught to interact with adults? Um, isn't that an interesting question to think about over time? Uh, how did kids treat adults 50 years ago compared to how kids treat adults today? Does anyone think it's the same? No. How do adults treat kids today compared to how adults treated kids 50 years ago? It's changed. Well, how so? Would you like to know? Ask your grandparents. They'll tell you. And they'll tell you what they think is good about the past and bad about the past, what's good about the present and bad about the present, if you're willing to ask and listen. Ask them, uh, uh, when you were a teenager, what were teen gatherings or parties like? What was youth group like when you were uh, a teenager? Uh, what was church like when you were a teenager? What, what was your social world like? Ask about how they were raised. How would you describe your parents' parenting style? Uh, how, is, how many of you have had your parents tell you that you are raising your kids wrong? If anyone had that opportunity? That's a fun conversation. Uh, if you say so. Because it's a wisdom conversation. It's a wisdom conversation. There's not a perfect uh, manual to raising children. Um, one of my favorite parenting books that, that I've ever read, I read it a few years back, uh, gave the history of theory about raising kids and how to punish them and how to reward them and how to grow them up into perfect and model citizens and human beings. Um, it gave the history of that, and it gave the history of the experts who wrote it, and then it talked about how messed up their kids grew up to be. Um, and that was the book. It was a history of not only the theories as they developed, but the families of the people who were writing them. And the point of the book was, hey, the experts have messed up families too. Give yourself a break and quit trying to be perfect all the time. So in that place of empathy, in that place of curious listening, what a thing to talk to your parents about, hey, were you raised differently by your parents than you raised your kids? What do you think about how kids are being raised today? What's different about how adults and children interact? What are some of the opportunities that parents give kids today that they didn't in the past, and, and what are the challenges of, of that? But listening to your elders talk about uh, school, how they were raised, who had the most uh, impact on them, what were the most important rules in your house? Now, I bet the rules your parents had when they were kids are very different from the rules that your kids have in your house today. They're very different. Oh, yeah, that was enthusiastic. <laughs> They're different. Uh, it's a different world. Who are you really at the core? What's your identity? And, and thinking about identity is a weird thing. We don't think about that often. Um, but imagine in one day a person could call their parents and be in the role of a child who's talking to their parent, listening to their parent, receiving parental advice and wisdom and input. And, and then they could hang up that call and then call their kids and suddenly be in the role of parent with their kid asking them questions. It's a totally different identity. It's a totally different role. You can go to work and be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company and then go to a scuba class where you're the student and if you don't pay attention and follow instructions, you could die. You've gotta go from being, having all the authority to full submission so that you can be a learner. All of these identities play into how we think about who we are. And, and when you ask people, uh, how did you develop your identity? Uh, if you were to describe yourself as a kid and as a teen, how, did you, how would you describe yourself? What kind of a person do you believe you were? 
what did people tease you about when you were a kid? What did people compliment about when you were a kid? Uh, where did you or your parents buy the most clothes, um, buy most of your clothes? This one shocked me when I thought about it. I thought, where would my grandparents have gone shopping for clothes? I thought, okay, because Walmart doesn't exist. Target doesn't exist. Uh, Amazon, no way. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to ask this week where my grandparents used to buy clothes. Was it the Sears Roebuck catalog? Was that a thing? I'm going to ask. I want to know. Um, because the world was different before Walmart and Amazon than it is today. But I don't have a lived experience of what that is, and I, I want to learn that, to think about how their world was different than my world in a way that helps me understand them better. Questions about belief and faith. Who were people who most influenced your faith and beliefs? As a child, did your family go to church or talk about faith at home? What is the belief you most want your kids and grandkids to share with you, if you could pick one? What's the one that you most care about them sharing? Questions about marriage and family. What were dating and courtship practices like when you were young? Uh, in, the, in studying about this, here's one story that I just fell in love with. Uh, grandparents, uh, she's recounting how some people answered this question. Grandparents told me about courting traditions I had only previously read about. For example, at county fairs and pie suppers in the United States, Men bid on pies made by women they were sweet on. The bidding, with proceeds going to charity to avoid any hint of impropriety, would, could be quite competitive. According to the Perkins Journal in Oklahoma in 1934, okay, so this is 90 years, less than a century ago, in our state, the newspaper reported this. Our pie supper was well attended and had a nice program, plenty of pies. We made $16.97. Juanita George received the cake for the most popular young lady. Ted Tomlinson received a looking glass for being the ugliest man. <laughs> and Marvin Cruz and Stella Davidson got a jar of pickles for the most lovesick couple. 90 years ago, here, that's how courtship would begin. Uh, you'd go bid on a woman's pie to let her know you thought she was attractive. Uh, we don't do it that way anymore. Uh, and, you know, they raised 1673 or uh, four gallons of gas. So it wasn't that productive, I guess. The world has changed dramatically in the years. And we look at each other and we say, I don't understand how you think the way you think and live the way you live. And it's because we haven't listened. And it's because we haven't learned. And it's because we haven't taken the time to turn off the television and turn on our attention to one another. I won't keep going through this. There's other good questions. You can read them uh, as you do it. But I would encourage you to take this and use it as, as prompts to go deeper and richer with your family and your friends. And you can do this with anyone, by the way. Especially if it's someone that you don't understand and it's frustrating to you, get to understand them by asking them richer, richer questions and listening about who they are and where they come from. It will help us to get into this uh, spiritual practice of remembering the days of old, considering the generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you, your elders and they will explain to you. 
It will get us into the habit of being careful, watching ourselves closely, so that we do not forget the things that our eyes have seen or let them fade from our heart, instead teaching them to our children and to their children after them. Ask the former generation to find out what their ancestors learned, for we were born only yesterday and know nothing, and our days on earth are only but a shadow. Grandparents, if you're here and you're thinking, but my kids just don't want to listen, record yourself or write your stories down. Leave them a legacy of who you are that they may not appreciate until it's too late to ask you themselves, and they will thank you from a time that they would, would never have imagined that they would need so much of you to be a blessing to them. Find ways to have these conversations. Find ways to learn this information. Find ways. Do the work of being curious people in your family's lives and bless each other richly by teaching the stories of the past. If you're here today and you need to respond to the story that's worthy of being told over and over and over again to each and every generation by each and every family, the story that God created, humans lost, Jesus came down so that he could die on the cross and be lifted up on the cross and yet raised from the dead, raised from the dead so that we too could have eternal life with him forever. The greatest story ever told. If you need to respond to the invitation to, to be one of God's people, uh, you can do so this morning as we stand and sing.